Hey guys, welcome. It's the Holy Hour Podcast, the all-cure bi-weekly podcast, and I am Gavin. Welcome. I hope you're doing good, surviving out there, thriving out there somehow, and um, just embracing all that you can to keep you sane and, and happy in these times. And uh, we have a wonderful episode for you guys. Um, I am very pleased to say that this one just snowballed on its own. It was uh, It's always great when these happen, and, um, and you guys in particular really pulled it together. It's been a while since we've had an origin story episode where we kind of just gather as many people out there listeners new new listeners old friends and uh try to just get a version of how you got into the cure we always love to go back to the beginning and see how this started because we've done a few of these now we've sprinkled them into other episodes and um you would think that there'd be patterns at this point, but everybody's story is always different and it's always amazing and so fun just to see what slightly different wrinkles there is and when and how and why we all ended up somewhat in the same boat together, at least if nothing else in common. Um, we all love the cure enough to uh, have an origin story and uh, want to share it on a Cure podcast. So that's something special in itself, I think. So um, I was very excited, and you guys did great in sending these in or writing them up, and I'll read you some stories. But for the most part, going to give you a break from myself and the gang and uh, throw the ball into your court, as they say. And uh, here's some wonderful origin stories. This first one that we're going to kick it off with is from a listener named Brian out on the West Coast there in California. And um, we had been writing back and forth a few times. He wrote me a couple really awesome emails right out of the gate, you know, throwing out there some some hilarious and cool comments. And somewhere in corresponding, he's, he had mentioned how he started to get into the care with a quick version. And I was like, that's great. We should use that as a... Uh, um, origin story, you know, initially, of course, thinking that we could call him up and hash this all out, but uh, he went ahead and recorded it himself, even because we were taking so long, <laughs> and uh, was kind enough to share it with us. And and I gotta say, it blew me away. There's so much cool, different twist on how he got into the cure and uh, what kicked it all off for him. So I'm gonna zip it. We're going to just dive right into these and see where they go. Um, so, yeah, leading us off is uh, our new bud, Brian, and his origin tale of how his life with the cure has begun. So take it away, Brian. My name is Brian, and I'm from Southern California. And I want to tell the story of how I became... A fan of the cure but in in order to tell that it's important to know a little bit about what was going on before i had heard of them i had no older siblings that could get me into music and my parents they weren't the type that had music playing very much uh, music to them was like hearing birds chirping it was nice and entertaining but also forgettable background noise at the same time so we just moved to this new town with my dad and his new wife and this town had a big mountain that blocked reception to several radio stations that would have played the cure. Sometimes the one of the radio stations would come in in the car, but it was all staticky. And where I would have put up with that, my parents didn't. Um, I would have put up with it just because I'm so curious. 
but to them it was uh, it was not happening. So, and we also didn't have cable TV either, and uh, they only had one TV set in the house. So when you watch TV, it had to be something that the parents watched. So if they were in the room and they didn't want to watch it, you didn't get to see it. So I was 12 in 1989, and in August of that year, I would turn 13. So I just started buying music with my own allowance money. And up to that point, my favorite band was Oingo Boingo. Uh, they're still pretty up there on the list. I love them. Uh, but a kid at school had made me a tape with Guns N' Roses and Def Leppard on it. And I enjoyed that because it was a new sound to me. And it was, it was a little bit more aggressive. And you know, especially the Guns N' Roses kind of dangerous sounding. So that was interesting. I liked that. It was hard to discover music, and so most of my purchases of tapes were from friends' recommendations, and sometimes they were blind. Like, I, a friend would say, buy this band, and so I did, not really knowing what they were going to sound like. Um, but none of my friends had any knowledge of The Cure, so no, not yet. So then I entered eighth grade, and this was the first school I went to that had gothic kids. Only about five of them but their appearance intrigued me so much and more than anything else I'd ever seen. Uh, but unfortunately they were the stuck up type of goth who um, they didn't want to let an outsider into their, their clique. And so especially if you weren't already gothic. So they wanted nothing to do with me because, you know, I, I was still, I don't know, I dressed kind of nerdy, I think. They didn't turn me off. I was still curious. And so they wore shirts by a band called The Cure. And there were other band names, but the Cure shirts were definitely the ones I remember seeing the most, and they just kind of stuck out to me. I remember seeing Robert's pale face on one and some swirly striped tentacle-looking thing on another shirt, and I would later find out that the, uh, that was the artwork from Disintegration. So, but the big question was, how was I to find out about this band? So no cable TV, no rock radio stations came in without a bunch of static, and no friends or relatives knew about them. So I was gonna have to buy one of their cassettes at my own risk. And I remember how much time I spent hoping that their music was dark and creepy. I didn't even know exactly how you could make rock music scary, except through heavy metal. But I knew that The Cure couldn't be heavy metal just because of how their fans dressed. I was like, this. I, I, I didn't know what The Cure was, but I knew what they weren't. But I kind of knew that they had to be dark in some way because of also how their fans dressed. And uh, I wanted darkness in my music. So the school year ended and I didn't win over the goth kids. Uh, and now we're out of school and my birthday was coming up and I was going to spend a few weeks in Oregon with my mom. Before going there, my uncle took me and my cousins to the music store, the warehouse. That was, that was what the music store was called. And he told me I can pick one item and he would buy it for me as a birthday gift. So I was so, I was thrilled with that. So now I can get a cure tape and not have to spend the money I was saving for my upcoming trip to Oregon. So I went to the selection for the cure and I didn't know any of their song titles. So I made my decision based on the artwork. It's been quite a long time now. So I don't remember what I thought of every cover. And I can't remember if I saw Disintegration because I didn't know anything about the band. Um, I, didn't know, I definitely didn't know that was their newest album at the time. But the three I do remember are 17 Seconds, Standing on a Beach, and Pornography. 
Now the artwork for Pornography is still my favorite cover, um, but specifically the cassette artwork. That picture is so cool because they're at the bottom and even though it's blurry, you can still make out each member. Um, years later when I'd get it on CD and vinyl, I was kind of disappointed that the picture is not the same. I think the cassette artwork's better on that one. However, I wasn't sure if I would get in trouble for bringing home a tape called Pornography. Um, my parents were pretty strict and there was, there was a fear there that they would think this that wouldn't let me have it. So I'd have to be by myself to make that purchase. Uh, my uncle was going to be buying this and he would, he would probably look at it and I feared that he would be mad or he would say something to my dad and then that would get my dad mad. I just wasn't sure. So I do remember looking at standing on a beach and thought, there's no way this grizzled old man is in the band. Who the hell is he? And why would they put him on the cover? Like, how did they expect him to sell music? Uh, so that was an easy pass. So I was like, forget that, dude. That old man didn't sell the idea that this band made dark or scary music. So I went with 17 Seconds. The artwork on that intrigued me as well. You could see more on the cassette than what's on the CD. Uh, I could see a blurry tree and this blurry red blur that looked like someone got stabbed and the camera was moved too quickly and that's why it was blurry. That's kind of what I thought when I saw it. Above the red blur, I can see the faintest outline of shoulders and a head, but it's almost like transparent, but you could just see uh, an outline. And it's like if someone was wearing a hood, it's because the shoulders aren't squared off or angular or anything. Perhaps, you know, maybe people see what they want to see. But looking at it these days, it's a real stretch, but I still see the faintest outline of a figure, but only on the cassette version. The thin trees were completely bare of leaves, and so there was just a lot of mystery. None of the song titles were anything that was going to get me in trouble either. So this tape looked like it had to be what the goth kids were into. So my uncle buys the tape and takes me back to the house. And I was to be spending the night with my cousins this weekend. So now I have this tape, but I don't want to listen to it in front of any kind of parental figure, just in case it was something that they were going to try and forbid me to listen to. So I, I had a Walkman, so when I went to bed that night in my cousin's room, I finally got to hear this tape I was obsessed with all day. So I pressed play, and a reflection came on. I'm liking it, and already I realize that nothing I've listened to up to this point has sounded like this. It's leading up to something. It has to be. At the very end of the song, I can hear in the distance a voice, but it's not singing words, just vocalizing. It's so quiet, though. I can't even tell if it's a boy or girl, but it sounds young. And then the song closes, and I liked that. And it didn't even have drums. So the next song is what hooked me though. In America, the song order is different on the cassette. Play for Today isn't heard until side two. So for me, the next song was a forest. So those first opening notes played on that foreboding key sounding keyboard. And, uh, and then there's, there's no drums yet. And then that murky guitar sound that is all over the album totally grabbed me. But then once that beat, kicks in once the beat and then the drums kick in holy shit once that song was done i wanted to rewind it and listen to it again but i had the whole rest of the tape to devour and that was that alone was a hard decision but i decided to press on and listen to the rest of the tape but now i finally know what the dude sounds like 
So the first Cure song with words that I ever got to hear was A Forest. And it was exactly what I hoped it would be, too. I Before listening to it, I really didn't know what it was going to be like. But this is, this is exactly what I hoped for. Dark, yet melodic. And it had an amazing beat. And the band is so bass heavy. Like even on other albums, like their bass is just, it's killer. I love the bass lines. Uh, not enough good things can be said about this song. I had never heard anybody have that jangly effect he has on his guitar. And I love the sound of the guitar in all these songs. I was too in- inexperienced at the time to know what made the guitar sound that way. But I would eventually find out. So then Secrets comes on. Pretty melody, and then there's the mystery of the quiet lyrics. I thought that this was the song that... This sounds like a song that goth chicks made out to. It it has to be. Already it sounded like... uh, It just sounds like a make-out song. So, next song was In Your House, and that's still in my top ten favorite of all favorite Cure songs. It's, It's in the top ten list. The guitar hook on this song is perfect. But right when the drums come in and really get the song going, uh, the cymbals crash and it sounds like a crashing wave. It's, it's this part. That, that, it was, and then that, that sound is all over the album. Um, it's hard to describe, but I've never heard anybody do it before or since. And I love, that sound that's all over the album. So Play For Today has the same effect on the cymbals. Well, I thought it was the cymbals, but I'm not even, I'm still not even sure, but this. Yes, that, that. Sounds like a short, like a short blast of an air hose that you use to put air in your tires. Another song that kicked so much ass from the very first listen, but that wouldn't be until side two for me. So side two was best on the cassette. I, it starts off with the final sound. And when that song sound, I, I like that song. It's also creepy, um, kind of pretty dark sounding. But when the song ends, it sounds like the tape is being eaten and cuts off. It immediately goes into the fast beat of play for today. And it felt like they knew their song was fucking up. So they changed the channel and a fast song came on. And so I, th- I thought that was pretty creative. Uh, I like the final sounds. Excuse me, the final sound. I heard that and I was like, yeah, this this is creepy. Um, And then I love the distortion effect in the song At Night. I remember as I'm taking it all in, thinking, I wish I had this guy's problems if it caused him to make this music. So now I've listened to the whole tape. I'm in bed in my cousin's room and we're supposed to be going to sleep. But I can't sleep now. I just heard one of the most amazing things I've ever heard, and nobody else got to hear it. I would go on to memorize every note and all the lyrics that I could understand. I played the hell out of this tape. It got, I I can't even count how many times I played it, but I loved it. Um, I didn't even get another one until I went up north. Uh, And so I took my lone cure tape with me to Oregon and played it in my mom's tape deck and when In Your House came on, she said, this is stoner music. I didn't know yet, but um, I agree with her now. It's, it really is. 
But one day when she realized how much I liked the tape, she mentioned a music store in town that would probably have the cure. So she took me and I got my next tape. I wasn't so apprehensive about picking one out this time because I knew they were going to satisfy. But I still had nothing to go on. And I still didn't know that they had a new album out. So again, I picked a tape just based on the artwork. So I liked the ghostly hands and the pair of eyes that were just weird enough to make me choose the head on the door. I couldn't have been happier with my choice. It still has a lot of dark stuff on it, but now there's some upbeat sounding songs too. In Between Days was killer, and then Coyote Song comes on, and I'm like, okay, yeah, they're still, they're still dark. And I loved the Eastern influence that I hear in that song. Uh, this, is, this is another one of my top songs today. Um, Coyote Song definitely makes the list of being in the top 10. So many of his lyrics to the songs are so mysterious and sad, even when they're happy sounding. Um, but both the closing songs for each side were perfect. Push is an epic song. And that's... I don't even know how else to describe how amazing that song is. It's just... it. Every, every instrument is on it is doing the best at what they're doing. It's totally on point and... I love it. Um, and then sinking. Oh, again, I, I never knew music could sound like this. No band I had ever heard of wrote anything like this. I love the bass on that song. Um, so after this, I, I was hooked. I knew that any tape I got by them is going to be amazing. And, and in 1989, I was correct. I played these tapes over and over and over again. And not long after that, I was informed the... Cure had a new album out called Disintegration. So, of course, I had to have that one, too. I don't remember the order in which I got the rest of their releases, but the first two were definitely... They were so memorable because they were my introduction to what would become a favorite forever. And here it is now. It's 2020, and I'm still... Uh, still a huge fan. So thanks for thanks for listening, and if uh, if there's some way Robert Smith would ever listen to this, thank you, man. You helped me out a lot. I love you. All right, thank you so much, Brian. That was awesome, and I love the idea of uh, just buying the first Cure album based on album cover. You know, we hear so many. Um, you know, you stumble across love song on the radio or you had an older sibling that, you know, left, left a copy of something around the house and you just were curious or you overheard it from the cooler kids in school. Um, you know, all those are great and have their own slight variations, but, um, can you imagine just blindly picking a Cure album based on the cover and seeing where that would go? And, uh... And even more amazing that 17 seconds is what, what kicked it all off. So, you know, not none of it's shocking, but at the same time, you just don't hear that path very often. And I love that. So uh, very cool story. And um, look forward to talking with Brian more. Hopefully we can get that full conversation going soon, too. Um, like I said, we definitely want to try to call as many of you guys up as possible. But this is great where we get to hear so many stories um, as as you remember it in your words. So, and uh, as we move on, the next one is literally in 
this listener's words because uh, as I throw it out there often, it's great if you can record it, but um, also a lot of people don't like to just sit in the room and record themselves talking, and it's easier just to write it out. I totally understand that. And uh, so we'll move on next to Michelle, who uh, wrote us her Cure origin story. So as always, I'll try to do your voice justice, but here we go. Michelle writes... It's taken me about 30 years to own my fragmented Cure origin story, but I'm okay with that. I think, like so many things in life, the Cure comes to you when you most need to hear them. I can't believe I just wrote that. I was 16 when Wish came out, a big Smiths and Morrissey fan at the time, and I'm still not sure, in hindsight, how that was my first real exposure to them. But I blame the East Coast suburban life and the New York City radio station Z100 that led you to believe that there was nothing more but the top 40 that they pumped at you. I loved Wish enough to remember being so upset that my parents wouldn't let me go with friends to see them in Philly, the closest stop to my New Jersey home. Even though, in my opinion, that was the perfect age to become a lifelong Cure fan. Unfortunately for Robert and the boys and me, The next year, In Utero came out. Nirvana and grunge hit my college years so hard, and I don't even think I remember Wild Mood Swings ever coming out. I spent my 20s with Mainstream Cure, Just Like Heaven, Love Song. Then, when I was around 30, a friend who I would drive to work with commandeered my iPod and called me a sad Radio Cure fan, like I only knew what I could get off the radio. A huge Cure fan herself, she said I should be embarrassed to have that much Cure on there without anything deeper than in between days. So, she brought me head on the door, and she brought me disintegration, and said my problem was that I didn't listen to anything from start to finish. She was right. I was pretty sure after about five disintegration listens that it had healed more of my 20s than any therapy did. But... Like so many, my 30s were a blur of career and having children and taking care of an ill parent, and any hopes of a deeper dive into their back catalog stopped around there. Then, in 2016, that 16-year-old finally went to her first Cure show. It was night three at Madison Square Garden. I was on the floor, and I still don't know how I remained standing. I had just turned 40 and had just lost my mom. I was tired, and when they played 39, I finally, finally owned that story. Blood flowers helped me find my place, or peace, within my 40s, and I finally made time to take the deep dive back to the beginning and lots of Holy Hour podcast episodes. I turned 45 a few weeks ago and gave the self-titled album a better try, knowing that Robert wrote it around that age. I can totally appreciate that approaching midlife, isolation, fear, and identity, he was trying to scream. While I hold the Pornography Disintegration Bloodflowers trilogy as my timeless favorites, I definitely see a pattern in the albums that affected me most at the age that Robert was when he wrote them. I'm curious if others feel that way. 
Are there 20-year-old newer fans who feel a different connection to 17 seconds than maybe I do? I look forward to testing this theory in a few years with a 413 Dream re-listen. And as for that new album, well, I can only hope I don't have to wait until I'm 61 to hear it. Oops, sorry. Thanks for letting me share, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. That was awesome. I love the idea of uh, gradually putting your toes into the water of the cure. And, you know, we always hear of the, you know, the dive right in. You know, you get hooked on a certain song, and then you have to go back and buy twelve albums at once, kind of thing. But uh, it's actually cool. You don't really hear often how much a, a deeper dive comes you know, with a good chunk of time later. And yeah, I think the uh, age Robert Smith was when he recorded the albums does have a huge impact. I uh, I wish I had more of the old ones to do that with or, or had synced it up better. But I know just recently with the reissue of Blood Flowers and um, just how much more that album in particular seems to make sense um, once you are 40 you know, I was like, uh, what, 20 something when it came out. So it's, uh, I definitely didn't click with it right away, you know? Um, and I feel like there's a huge part of that album in particular that really, really, uh, makes a lot more sense once you get older and can soak up some of those lyrics a lot better. Even just recently, I was listening to out of this world with the perspective of my son and, uh, you know, looking back, as he's growing so fast, you know, and in and, and that perspective, I'm like, whoa, you know, I'm automatically almost started tearing up, um, even though it's probably nowhere near the mark. But it's funny how those things you can adapt as you get older. Just another true sign of a great song. And yeah, I wonder that'd be an ultimate uh, try to find someone out there that's 29 turning 30 and discovering disintegration for the first time. I wonder now how drastically different that is to somebody in 2020 as opposed to how it would have been back in 1989. So uh, if anybody fits that category, let me know. Let's move on, though. Thanks again, Michelle. Up next, we got an audio clip from our old buddy Tyler, who uh, has been one of the longest contributors to the holy hour podcast we heard from him super early on and it's always a pleasure to hear from tyler and uh kind of crazy that we don't have his official um origin story i know he's mentioned things in passing on different segments he's contributed to but we haven't heard his full-on story so this is a, a cool one when we can get somebody that we know from a long history here on the podcast, but never have officially heard their origin story. So so this is a real cool one. Get comfy, and uh, let's kick it over to Tyler and see how he got hooked on The Cure. How I got into The Cure, it's a little bit of a roundabout story, so bear with me for a minute. Um, it was 2006. I was 16. And I had very recently become a fan of a Japanese rock band called Deer and Grey. And around that time, they were coincidentally also starting to get some attention and traction in North America. So because of that, they were uh, featured as a band on Korn's 
family values tour that year, 2006. And I had a friend at the time who was a very big corn fan, and they told me about the show, so we ended up going together. And I had never really paid corn that much attention. I'm talking about the band, not the food. So I went to see Duran Gray, and they were great. And Deftones played that night as well, and I, I remember enjoying them a lot, and I've seen them since a few more times. And the last band of the night, because it was their tour, was Korn. And I'll be the first one to admit, I was kind of an angsty 16-year-old, and some of the lyrics and some of the music did stick to me. And I, I related with it a bit, particularly the material that they played from what was then their most recent album, See You on the Other Side which is a bit of a more industrial-sounding album. It was produced with Atticus Ross, who is now known for producing multiple soundtracks with Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails, as well as now being the only other official member of Nine Inch Nails besides Trent Reznor. So I ended up becoming a fan of Korn and started listening to their albums. And early 2007, they came out with a MTV Unplugged album. And I remember even being a fan of the band, listening to it, and being pretty disappointed by it. I, you know, e even then, at the height of my enjoyment of them, thinking that Korn is not a band that should be unplugged. And so I kept listening, and towards the very end, Jonathan Davis, who's the singer of Korn, does an introduction to a song saying that the band that's coming out is the band that got me through high school, and they saved my life, and this, that, and the other, and then he proceeds to introduce Robert Smith and The Cure. And by that time, my knowledge of The Cure was very small. I knew them mainly from the songs Boys Don't Cry, Friday I'm In Love, and Just Like Heaven. And I was thinking, oh boy, like what is a pop band doing on here? And Korn proceeded to start playing a unplugged version of a song from their album Issues titled Make Me Bad which, if you're not a Korn fan, is probably just as cringy as the song title is lies. And Robert Smith is singing some, some backing vocals and kind of going through the motions, but then the band transitions into a slowed-down acoustic version of the song In Between Days by The Cure, and Robert Smith starts singing. And it was almost as if something clicked, and it was instantaneous where listening to Robert Smith singing, I almost immediately thought, okay, I am done with corn. I now need to find out everything about this band, The Cure, as I can. I finished up the MTV Unplugged album, 
and I, I have to say, although I did see Korn later that year for uh, the 2007 version of the Family Values Tour, I never got back into them because following that almost all of my musical attention was shifted into finding out about The Cure. And I remember at the time my uh, family had Comcast On Demand and they, they had this, this cable box, you know, where you could look up certain movies to watch immediately. But they also had some music videos. And I remember for The Cure, they had two live videos. Both of them were from the Trilogy concert. One was for 100 Years and one was for Fascination Street. And I just fell in love with those songs. And following that, that Christmas, my brother bought me the deluxe versions, the, uh, the, the Rhino reissue deluxe version CDs of pornography and the head on the door. And from there, it was just an obsession almost finding anything I could buy this band and getting my hands on it. And the last part of my story that I will say is that I tend to, when I get into a band, try to listen to or download or whatever, just hear everything that they've made as soon as I can. And even though this was during the heyday of me at the height of my quote-unquote downloading days, I didn't do that with The Cure. And instead I would find physical versions of all of their albums or singles or compilations as I could because for some reason it felt more important to me that I find everything that I could buy this band naturally than quote-unquote taking the easy way out and just downloading their entire discography like I had with other bands and artists that I was enjoying at the time and I'm still a fan to this day and that is how I got into The Cure. Alright, thanks so much, Tyler. Like I said, always great to hear from you. And uh, if anybody has been following this show, um, I am definitely guilty or on the record of... Uh, not being a fan of the corn collaboration with Robert Smith and the Cure for their unplugged episode. We did our whole trial episode where that was the one thing I would hold against the Cure. And I already forget what the final verdict was on that. But I have to say now, between Tyler and John, um, you know, two very awesome Cure fans, if that's what reeled them in, then I can't totally bash it, right? Um, so I, I, I totally have accepted this has happened now, and uh, the Cure and Corn can coexist in this world if it's going to bring in cool Cure fans like John and Tyler here. So goes to show, what do I know, right? So uh, whatever gets you in the door is the other perspective. So so glad it worked for you, Tyler, and so glad that you shared your official origin story with us now and uh, have you on the record books there and uh, really appreciate it. So thanks so much. Let's keep this train rolling. What do we got next? We got another one that's a write-in, this time 
from Jennifer. And uh, Jennifer wrote us a nice, cool email about how she discovered the cure and how it all snowballed from there. So Jennifer writes, For me, it started fall 1992. Driving to school my senior year, hearing Friday I'm in Love on the radio. I bought Wish the following year and quite liked it. I would smoke some weed, listen to the album, and spend hours losing myself in those lyrics. My god, the lyrics for From the Edge of the Deep Green Sea was possibly the most amazing thing I'd ever heard and read. And the artwork. The Wish art changed my life. I spent so much time studying every little detail of the art. The handprints, the big high bug, and that cross section of the apple or sand dollar that's on the cover. A few years later, I started dating a guy who really loved The Cure, and that's when the love affair truly began. It was around 1996. Wild Mood Swings had just come out. I was meh about it, but the back catalog, though, whoa. The internet was brand new in our lives, and at 14.4k, I would surf at the speed of, well, not light, not sound, more like honey or molasses. Yeah, that's probably right. Molasses. For the interviews and photos of the cure and the fonts. How I searched for hours on those CompuServe boards looking for a font from Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. I started a new job as a database developer, and one day my boss tosses me a box of Macromedia Studio, which included Fontographer. I headed out to Comp USA and bought a cheaper scanner and scanned in Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. And a weekend of cheap beer later had created the Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me font. I went on to develop a bunch more, a close to me font, Orgy, which is a glove font, Lament, Treasure, which is Robert Smith's handwriting, and decided I needed a website to house them. So, many weekends of staying up till dawn drinking more cheap beer, my fan page, called Mint Cure, was born. It featured downloadable content from your computer, fonts, windows themes, remember that? Wallpapers, icons, pictures... But mostly, it was all about the fonts. It was a pretty prominent cure site back in the day, second only to Chain of Flowers, and I think had gotten like a quarter million visitors or something. And those fonts have now been collectively downloaded millions of times. I learned enough HTML and web design that I got a job as a web designer. That job allowed me financial security to leave a really unhealthy and shitty relationship different boyfriend. Then I went to school for graphic design and worked professionally in that field for a number of years until I went back to school for nutrition. So in that way the cure and more specifically Andy Vela and Poral Pearl at Parched Art made a palpable difference in my life. I became a graphic designer because the Wish artwork inspired me so much. I learned web development and became gainfully employed because my admiration for the band led me so. And I wound up meeting my husband through the design agency where I worked. All because of the spark of influence of this band. So thanks for listening. Love, Jen, a.k.a. Mint Cure. 
Awesome. Thanks so much, Jen. That's such a cool origin story. Like, I totally was all over that website. Um, I didn't remember it being called that, but uh, that was like one of the first thing with the dial-up internet and everything. Once I realized you could download a different font, like the first thing I searched for was Cure Fonts. And uh, that Kiss Me one in particular, I wrote everything in that Kiss Me. I probably tried to turn in a college paper written in Kiss Me, Kiss Me font. Um, maybe not that drastic, but definitely, you know, that'd be like an ongoing thing forever. Every band I played in, I'd print out the set list in like a Cure font or something, and nobody could read it while they're playing on stage. So, yeah, jeez, um, thanks so much. That must have been insane scanning all that in um but especially back then who knows but uh so grateful and how cool that is awesome that's still even when i was uh like i was writing back to jen after i got this email i was like yeah that's still one of the things luckily my computer's held in there for a while now but uh for a while there they were just dying left and right after about a year or so and um like you get the whole new one it's like oh all right clean sweep and before i even started like saving favorite websites or anything one of the first things i'd always do is go to find cure fonts out there and uh have them saved in my in my stash there so uh wow pretty cool and like you said just how it all developed from there and your whole life uh you know just paved on that road stemming from Love of the Cure and Wish Art. How rad is that? So uh, thanks so much for sharing. And, uh, you know, just when I feel like I've heard every origin story. Perfect example why we do this. So anyway, I'm, I'm supposed to be keeping a low profile this episode. Let's move on. We got an audio clip from Jessica here who I've been wanting to talk to for a long time as well. Uh, we corresponded over um, Instagram a few times and she seems super rad. And uh, we got an audio clip of her origin story. So this is a real treat. This is another amazing story. So I'll kick it off now to Jessica. Hi, my name is Jessica. And this is my here origin story. I don't know, <laughs> this is weird. Recording myself alone in my room. Surrounded by Cure posters, by the way, I put most of the ones that I have up on Robert Smith's birthday this year since I was in quarantine and I wanted to be surrounded by him and images of him and it's nice. It's a little weird. Not weird, waking up next to a giant poster of Robert Smith looking over my bed. It's comforting. That's why I did it, because I wanted to be surrounded by him. I feel more comfortable. God, that sounds weird. (laughs) Okay. Um, So it started, it was pretty basic. My sister, my older sister, had the Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me cassette, and she gave it to me. I was 10. She didn't even have the cover. She just handed me the cassette. She's like, here, 
do you want this? I don't want it. I think she only bought it because she liked the song Hot, Hot, Hot. Who doesn't? It's great. Um, But I think all the others were a little beyond her musical taste. Um, But lucky for me, it worked out. So she gave me that tape and I listened to it. I was in... I was 10, so probably about fifth grade, and I really didn't know much about it. I didn't, I think I had heard Just Like Heaven, and so I was familiar with it, but I don't really know what happened. Something, I think it changed my DNA is the best way I can describe it. Um, so I, I listened to the entire tape at least I think I did. And I remember being so um, kind of creeped out, not creeped out, just in, intrigued <laughs> as a 10-year-old by the kiss because the opening is so long. Um, and I w- would listen to that. And when he started singing and he was so angry, I, I, something about that resonated with me. So I um, decided that it would be a good idea on days when we would have inside recess to play the tape in class because our teachers would let us bring cassettes. So I would bring that one um, and I would start it at the beginning, The Kiss, in fifth grade for inside recess. And I don't no, I don't, I don't know what my teachers thought. I think they were probably taken aback. So they didn't, they never stopped it. They let the song play even when he started screaming and said, get your fucking voice out of my head. And it just, it happened and it ended and then the, and catch would play. Um, and that was it. They'd let it play for a few songs and then they'd stop it. Surprised I didn't stop it earlier. Maybe they were, maybe they just didn't care. Maybe they were tired. You know, we were quiet. I was just sitting there listening to it, just watching everyone, wanting everyone to like it as much as I did. I guess I was a weird kid. After that, I, I pretty much learned the cassette back and forth. I'm pretty sure I wore it down. And then I just did a deep dive. I went deep, deep, deep (laughs) into, I guess I just became a super fan as a very young, as a 10 year old. Um, I guess I can back this up by saying um, my, (laughs) um, yeah, my childhood was kind of I want to say sad, um, not great, not terrible. Um, I guess my mom was really sick. She had cancer and she was ill most of the time. And I also believe she had, um, clinical depression. Um, and she had been diagnosed when I was five. So she, by that point, she had had cancer for five years and she was really sick and, and things were, kind of odd around the house and there were a lot of um 
days and moments that were not great for a kid to be around. And um, I, I guess I had all these feelings that I didn't understand um, because she was so sad all the time. And that made me really sad. But because I was so young, I, I didn't know how to, how to express those feelings or where to place them or, or even what they were. I was just, I just felt sad a lot. Um, and then I, I guess I started listening when I started listening to the cure and their songs there there's there's emotion there that it I don't even really know how to explain it I guess it helped me understand my feelings It, it helped me put my feelings in a place where I could be sad but be okay with it that sounds weird. I don't even know. I haven't really discussed this with anybody. Um, so I'm just, I decided to share my story with a podcast. Um, because what the hell who, you know, it's just a thing. Um, so yeah, so, so as a kid, I would sit in my room (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> under a black light. And this was this is a few years. Like I I like I said, I, I did a deep dive into their back catalog. Like I got head on the door and pornography in seventeen seconds and, and everything back through to three imaginary boys and of course I had staring at the sea and and then I um would beg my dad. There was this place in Houston called the Record Rack and my dad would take me there and that's they had every great cure poster ever that was ever released um i have the giant boys don't cry poster and this great poster of robert i guess by some blinds it's a let's go to bed poster it's black and white um and so many other great posters that i had that I lost because I moved around so many times, but I, I, my entire room was plastered. My small one bed, you know, small, of course, a one bedroom. I was just a kid. I had my own room. <laughs> was plastered with cure posters and pictures and calendars and, and, um, single records. And I, I had every, every cassette I could get my hand on. I had the cure in, in, in orange when I was a kid. I thought it was cure in orange. Now it's cure in orange. If you want to get French, and <laughs> so bizarre. Um, and I remember watching the Kieran Orange all the time, all the time. And my parents, you know, my I guess my mom was in in remission at, at one point in my um, before I before I became a teenager, like eleven, twelve. And they would go dancing and they would leave me alone and I couldn't wait to be left alone because then I could watch my cure videos and my cure the cure in orange particularly in particular because it was the one that would I basically was babysat by the cure. <laughs> Sounds so bizarre. And I watched it 
over and over and over again as every chance I could. Um, and I learned every dance step, every single word, every phrase he had, the way he sang the songs. It was, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has, who has it memorized to the point where they sing along and it's like perfect. And it was, it was great. It was great. My, I, I mean, considering that there were some pretty heavy things happening in my household, I was a pretty happy kid because I discovered the cure and they, they saved me. They, their music legitimately saved me. No question about it. I, I know for a fact that if I, I, if I hadn't discovered them, if I had kept listening to, I don't know, bubblegum pop, I probably would have lost my mind because none of that shit spoke to me in the way that the cure did. And it didn't comfort me the way that the cure's music did and still does. And then in 1989, when Disintegration was released... I couldn't wait. It was it was the most exciting thing because I I knew it was coming out and it was the thing that I was waiting for and my dad bought me the cassette. I really wish I'd had it on vinyl, but I wasn't that savvy. Um but he bought it. He bought it for me and I remember listening to it for the first time. It was, it was amazing. I don't even have the proper words to express what it kind of did to me and what it meant to me to listen to that for the first time. It was so beautiful, just beyond gorgeous, like something I'd, I'd never, it, it was new music from them and it was so exciting and it was so fun and and it was so weird hearing lullaby for the first time and then and hearing his his creepy vocals and it was so great because he was he could do nothing he could do everything he could do nothing wrong he could do no wrong and pictures of you is still like it still moves me to tears and and the opening planes I mean every single song one after the other was utter perfection and I was there for the first like the, it it came out I couldn't wait and uh, if I had a time machine I would go back to that moment of listening to that album for the first time and then I would speed up to when I got to see them for the first time for the disintegration tour the prayer tour in, in Houston was phenomenal and by far the best memory of my entire life um that was that was a big night I I'll go ahead and tell you this story I'll make it quick because I've been talking for a while I my my best friend uh, from sixth grade I guess I was in sixth or seventh grade I can't remember I was 12 they uh she she bought me she bought me a ticket one ticket to see The Cure, because she didn't like The Cure at that time. She's like, I don't like The Cure, so she bought me a ticket to go see them 
who's gonna I, how was a how was a 12 year old gonna go to a show with one ticket so my dad had agreed to that he would take me and that was that was the plan so it rolls around September 15th 15th pretty sure it was 15th might be the 16th I have the ticket stub. I'm not going to get it out, though. I've been talking for a while. Um, so the day comes, and I was so excited. I was ready, and it's almost time to go. And my dad tells me he's not taking me. Period. He's not taking me. He's like, I'm not taking you. And I was devastated I couldn't I was so mad and I was so sad and I was freaking out and I guess he had some one of his buddies was coming over so he's like I'm not taking you I'm like how why and I know I started crying and my mom told me she said call your sister so I called my sister I have three older sisters I'm the youngest and I was 12 and my sister was 27 at the time much older sisters Um, and so I called her, I was trying to not ball on the phone, but I was probably bawling. And I asked her like, can you please take me? Dad won't take me. I have this ticket. I can't miss this show. I have to go please begging. And she, she agreed. She said, yes, of course I'll take you. Of course I'll take you. And so she picked me up. We went to the summit in Houston. If anyone remembers the summit in Houston, it's now a church It used to be a good place. So she takes me and we go to the box office and she has to buy a ticket, of course, to get in. And there are only tickets for behind the stage, but they sold it to her. No big deal. Um, And so we're, she's sitting next to me. We go to my seat. She's sitting next to me. And (laughs) and then people that actually had tickets for that row come and they file in. And and so she's kind of hanging out in the aisle and the show starts and the lights go down and I know that they had the tubular bells because they opened with plain song and it was it was magic I I I felt I felt everything at once and then the minute they they started to play I immediately started weeping weeping, not just crying, but weeping, bawling my eyes out because it was, I was so overwhelmed. I was so happy. I was so excited because I, I almost missed it. I almost didn't get to go. (laughs) And my sister, (laughs) she comes over to me because I'm crying. Her little, her 12 year old sister is crying her eyes out. And, oh, before, before, before I get to the, this point, um, a security guard or an usher came up to her and said, Hey, you can't just stand here in the aisle. And she looked and she, she pointed at me. She's like that. My little sister is right there. She's like, I can't leave her alone. And everyone in the aisle was like, yeah, dude, just let her stay. Like her little sister's here. Like, it's not a big deal. She's not in the way. I mean, my sister's a small person, so it's not like she, you know, was taking up a bunch of space anyway. So they, you know, everyone in the, in the row, we were all like, it was just like a come together moment. It was, it was very, it was very nice. Everyone was super cool. I know I was the youngest person in that row. Had to have been. It was mostly teenagers. Probably. I can't remember. I literally don't remember anything, but that moment and then the care playing, um, and just being so happy. 
So, okay, so I'm weeping, back to me weeping, and my sister comes over to me, and she's like, are you okay? And I'm bawling my eyes out. I was like, I'm fine, because I was so happy. I was so happy. I was seeing the cure for the first time ever. It was everything I'd ever done until that moment, from the moment I received the Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me tape, was devoted to them and there I was in their presence. I was far away. I couldn't, I mean, they were basically ants, but I was there and it was great. And every single show that I've seen after that has just been amazing. And I'm so grateful that they're still doing what they're doing because it means so much to me. It means so much to me. I really love them. And that's my story. I hope it's not too long. Okay. Um, thanks a lot. Um, I love the cure. I know you guys do too. And it's really nice because they're amazing. Right, Jessica, thank you so much. That was such a sweet and awesome uh, origin story. I really, really enjoyed hearing that, and uh, so thrilled to have it in this episode. And uh, thanks for being such a good sport and recording yourself talking and embracing it. Um, yeah, what a great story. And I think going back to the start of what you're talking about there, the posters are such a huge part of this in the early days, in particular, and. Um, and just how important that was. It doesn't really get mentioned a lot, but um, just having that face is a comfort thing on your walls as a kid too, you know, and when you're adolescent and going through so much stuff, you know, I just felt the exact same way. I had cure posters, if not covering the entire room, at least one whole wall devoted to it. And um, always love finding new cure posters. And uh, embracing that for sure. And, uh, you know, just so sorry to hear about your mom. Um, I kind of went through a similar thing when my mom was super sick um, as a kid, you know, just going back almost as far as I can remember when knowing the full history now. She was just always sick going through my youth and adolescence and me not even really always fully realizing how important the cure was in that aspect too and just being there to comfort and like he says an escape and or babysitter even you know um a lot of you know emotions in particular that i had no idea how to try to wrap my head around were totally embraced and helped out by robert smith and the cure so um yeah i feel Totally with you on that one. Legitimately saved my life. It gets said way too loosely, but uh, it's legit. I think in our cases, they he really did save us. Um, and yeah, I'll just never stop being jealous of uh, people that got to see the Cure on the Prayer Tour. Uh, yeah, especially if it's your first show. Like, uh, pretty amazing. Gotta love that. And just yeah. Definitely got to talk more sometime, Jessica. I could ramble on all day, too. So let's let's make an episode out of it. All right. Uh, we're winding down here. But we got one last audio clip I'd love to share with you from Sophia. It's always great to hear from, again, past contributor and uh, friend of the show. So um, 
let's kick it off. See how this all started for Sophia on this long journey. My name is Sophia, and uh, this is my Cure origin story. Uh, I was always a kid who sort of did her own thing. When I was young, I listened to a lot of jazz, bossa nova, Mexican folk, and boleros, because that's what my parents were into. And I also remember loving Michael Jackson and Prince. Um, as well as Tom Waits, who my dad was a big fan of. Uh, right before junior high, I bought my first cassette with my own money, and that was In Excess Kick. I had heard bands like The Cults and Motley Crue, thanks to a babysitter I was especially fond of, but I owe my love for The Cure to some older cousins who were and still are very cool. They named their dog Duran. <laughs> And uh, saw Depeche Mode on the 101 tour. The first Cure song I ever heard was the cassette single for The Walk. And uh, then I bought Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, which I was obsessed with. Um, I had no idea. I had missed them touring for the Kissing Tour by mere months, but... Oh, my parents probably wouldn't have let me gone anyway. At about 11 or 12, I came home from school to watch a music video block that came on. And the video for Just Like Heaven came on. And Robert Smith's aesthetic just absolutely enchanted me. I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. I had never seen anyone who looked or sounded like him, and it was absolutely intoxicant. We're sitting inches, mere inches from the TV, and my eyes felt like they were twirling out of my head. And, and that was it. I bought everything they put out within a span of like a month read every article I could get my hands on. Without a doubt, besides my family, Robert Smith has been the most influential person on me. Uh, the way I dress and the books I read and the music I listen to, films I've watched, uh, philosophies, everything. Everything I hold dear, I, I owe to him. I know that sounds hyperbolic, but it's true. The Cure influenced me in ways I never could have imagined. And um, thanks to The Cure and Mina's Cure Chat, I even met my husband, who proposed to me at a Cure show in 2008. Uh, that's another story for another day. Um, so cheers to The Cure. And to you all for understanding what obsession <laughs> looks like. Um, quick shout out to my Cure girls and all the friends I've made because of the Cure throughout the years. I'm 42 now, and they said it was just a phase. <laughs> all right, thanks so much, Sophia. I'm with you. They keep they keep waiting for me to outgrow this cure thing, but uh, I, I think it might be with us for life. So 
no no other way than it should be. It's the only way it should be. And I uh, can't thank you enough for sending it in. Again, great to hear the origin stories from people we've we've heard from before, too, and hearing how it all started out and just picturing we're, wee little Muppet Baby versions of everybody we've come to know on this show way back in the day and uh, discovering this wonderful band for the first time. So, ah, these episodes fill my heart with joy. So thank you so much, everybody out there for contributing. And uh, if we didn't get you on this one, um, I hope we can get you in on the next one. There's no shortage of these. We could do them all day, all the time. So anytime, just send them my way. They're kind of like covers episodes, right? Um, everyone just, just send them if you feel the feel the urge. And uh, even if we don't put one together quickly, we'll I'll, I'll hold on to them and make sure we get them all out there, okay? So thank you so much, Sophia, Jessica, Jen, Tyler, Michelle, and uh, Brian. Who else we got? Anybody else out there? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Uh, I think that's everyone. Okay, guys. Um, until next time, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you don't miss any of these episodes or any of the oldies that I'm redropping back into the feed. If you don't want to wait for them to get redropped back into the feed and you're a huge fan of the website they call YouTube, they're all already up there. So go stream away over there. And um, otherwise, keep your eyes peeled at the bottom of the feed. They're usually the older ones, so uh, it'll be in there. And uh, follow us on the Instagram. It's the Holy Hour Podcast on Instagram, where you'll hear all kinds of ideas for collaborations or just what we're up to next. So you never really know what's around the corner. Um, And, you know, if you want to just drop me a message, GavinConnor at gmail.com that's connor with an er though so make sure you spell it right but it's all over everything you should be able to find it uh feel free to drop us a message there um is there any other uh facebook page that thing yeah go over there even if you hate facebook this is a cool spot where you can uh talk in the feeds to other cure fans and um get little links as to other things that go along with each episode and uh, don't want to miss out. So go like that page or follow it, whatever the hell you need to do on Facebook, and uh, then you'll be covered. You'll have all your fill of the Holy Hour podcast. And um, if that's not enough and you're like, well, why can't I buy a damn Cure shirt from you guys? I'll say, well, it's because we don't have any. But know what you can do. You can go over to 17secondshirts.bigcartel.com and our buddy Chaz from the show he will uh, hook you up good and proper with an original design. Um, pre-order it there. So uh, always keep your eyes peeled on that. And you can follow him on Instagram at 17 underscore seconds. So uh, you'll know when the pre-orders are popping up. And uh, you'll see get a little sneak peek of what's to come. So be sure to do that. Stay tuned. We have a very cool special episode coming up next. You are not going to want to miss that one. So subscribe now and keep your eyes and ears peeled uh, to the Holy Hour podcast. And again, can't thank you guys enough for contributing. Can't thank you guys enough for listening. And I hope everybody's keeping safe out there. And uh, let's wrap this year up, man. We're almost on the home stretch yet. No, maybe not just yet, but we're getting there. They're putting the Halloween tent up here in town. So I don't even know what that's going to be like this year, but uh, we're, we're getting near Halloween at least. So that's a good sign. Let's all keep trucking along. Love you. 
Talk soon and talk hard.